Previously on the Advent Calendar House. Happy Back to the Future Day. 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 Happy Back to the Future Day, Morty. Happy Back to the Future Back to the future day in the advent calendar house for a change. But the day this drops also falls on a Scrooge Sunday, so we're setting our time circuits to 1845 by way of 1991 for a special Christmas in July episode of Back to the Future, the animated series, cleverly called Dickens of a Christmas. I am leaving greasy footprints all over the ceiling, Mike Westfall. Joining me is a man I'd entrust with the keys to my DeLorean anytime. It's Joey O. Happy Back to the Future Day, Joey. Happy Back to the Future Day, Mike. And the hoverboarding ghost of Christmas, all of the above, from the Christmas Creeps and the OST Parties podcasts, please welcome Joseph Wade. Hello, Joseph. I just bloom and swept, you filthy-footed hooligans. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hi, how are you tonight? (laughs) Doing well. Glad you can join us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I finally got to it since I started this podcast. Not a week in, I had at least a couple of people ask me, you know, there's a Christmas episode of Back to the Future cartoon, right? Because I am nothing if not predictable. So this show was one I made sure not to miss on Saturday mornings in the fall of 91. And then I haven't watched it or very little have I thought about it again until now. And I'm only a little not sorry, but but Joseph Wade, tell me about your history with Back to the Future, the Saturday morning cartoon. I think I was maybe four or five years old when this series came out, and I know I watched it because I know I definitely had the McDonald's Happy Meal toys that came with it. Oh, wow. <clears throat> had completely memory hold this show until we put this one on and just a whole host of memories came flooding back. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Joey, I feel like we've talked about this before, but refresh our memories. Well, first, I wonder if McDonald's had Coke or Pepsi. Ooh. You know, the tie into Back to the Future. Ah, well, mine, I've only ever seen Coke products at McDonald's. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Sorry, future Ronald Reagan. Um, (laughs) I know I watched this again. Like when I watched this episode, I'm like, oh, I recognize these credits very well. So I'm sure I watched it when it was on because watched everything when it was on. It was around was around the same time as like the Bill and Ted cartoon. It seems like it's the very same vibe. I feel like yes. I feel like it's if not that, then I feel like this might have come first and then Bill and Ted was right on its heels. Not just for time travel reasons, just the animation and the overall vibe of the show and the movie adaptation. Oh yeah. It's got a very similar vibe now that you mention that, but excellent. Uh well that's a good lead into the history, the history, history of Back, of to, Back the to the Future, Future the animated, animated series. Series, series, series. Which ran on Saturday mornings from 1991 to 1992 on CBS. This episode, Dickens of a Christmas, first aired November 23rd, 1991, the Saturday before Thanksgiving at 11 o'clock. So if you missed it, you were probably watching Saved by the Bell. This was the first production by what is now Universal Animation Studios, 
better known as the studio behind the Curious George movie and TV series and all 13 sequels of The Land Before Time. Oh, wow. They were busy. <laughs> they were. They've already gotten up to uh, to our time period, probably. The Land After Time? The Land of Time. The I Land guess. of Time. <laughs> The next one is just going to be, they're just going to put out We're Back Again and just subtitle it The Land Before Time 15 or whatever. Oh, this is heavy. <laughs> Wait, that's nothing to do with it. Uh, but they also did a special we've covered before, Joey, A Wish for Wings That Work. Oh. It was between that and Amblin. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, I love A Wish for Wings That Work. Oh, that's so great. Go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> there we go. Uh, You'll learn a lot about an albatross. An albatross. So the Back to the Future cartoon was sort of a direct sequel to the film franchise, but because fans of movies are sticklers about everything, Bob Gale has at one point had to point out this animated series is in its own alternate timeline. Not the Biff timeline, though. That's where we are now in real life. <laughs> we have... Christopher Lloyd returning as Dr. Emmett Brown, but only in live action segments that bookend the actual story. His animated counterpart is Dan Castellaneta. What we need is a little Christmas spirit, and I know just where to get it. Oh. Which I noticed it was definitely not the same voice, but I don't think I noticed as a kid that it was Homer. Either of you? No, but even today, like, I... I I had to really like listen to make sure it actually wasn't uh, Christopher Lloyd. Like he does a pretty good facsimile. Also, this was right after the Simpsons debuted. So I wouldn't have known Dan Castellano's voice That's for other things point. that well. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I wish that he, that uh, Doc asked Jules and Vern to go out for frosty chocolate milkshakes, <laughs> boys. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about Christopher Lloyd for a moment? Other than, yeah, you know, sure. We talk about all the time. Just think about the, his career. I was thinking about this uh, last night. So he got his start. Was his breakthrough was one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? I think I believe so. so. Was and that, then taxi. And then taxi. Where he, yeah, where he played like a '60s, you know, burnout. Mm -hmm. Then he was a Star Trek villain. But <laughs> there was a time when we were younger that he was like the biggest star in family-friendly movies. Like if Christopher Lloyd was in something, it was like you know, right down the middle to our generation. He did, you know, the Back to the Future movies. He did the Adams Family movies and um, Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit. And, of course, Suburban Commando. <laughs> I forgot but he was in that. He was. He was Charlie Wilcox, which I remember because <laughs> I saw a million commercials for it. And I saw the movie itself on video. Anyway, um, but after that, he just, like, went, like, okay, I'm just going to be a character actor again for the rest of my career. Like, what an interest. And, and he'll play Doc Brown at the drop of a hat in anything you want him to. But. What an interesting career, you know? Yeah, he clearly loves the character, but also I think at a certain point, you have to wonder if he just made his money and decided, all right, I'm good. I'll do whatever I want to now. Yeah, but he just does like one-off stuff or, or, you know, I was looking at his IMD. Do you remember he was on that, that Fox sitcom Stacked? No. With Pam Anderson? I forgot all about Stacked. Oh, he wow. owned a bookstore and as in stacks of books, but also get it. Wink, wink. <laughs> ah. Oh, Fox. yeah. I yeah, that's a, that's the most Fox show. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I feel like Christopher Lloyd has maybe come back around to embracing Doc Brown again. There might have been a point in there because 
where nobody was thinking about it again. And then as 2015 kind of started looming large again, he's really come to embrace it again. And I love that about him. Even his Twitter handle is Doc Brown Lloyd <laughs> because Christopher Lloyd's too long. <laughs> but uh, also returning to this cast, but just their voices are Tom Wilson as various tannins throughout history, including today's antagonist, Ebifnezer Tannen. Which, what a joke. Your mortgage payment is one hour late. Hence, Ebifnezer Tannen is foreclosing and sending you to debtor's prison. <laughs> Can I mention my, my second favorite role of Thomas F. Wilson? Please do. From a TV show we've talked about before, and I'm sure we will again, he was Tony Zuko in Batman the Animated Series in Robin's Reckoning. Who oh, was that's the, uh, right. The antagonist who was, you know, menacing the flying Graysons. <laughs> Zuko's mine. <laughs> I keep forgetting that was him. Uh, and Christmas movie all-star Mary Steenburgen returns as Clara. Well, maybe if it weren't hot as the Dickens. That's it. Which is awesome because Mary Steenburgen rules. She does. Like she's, she's always awesome and she doesn't age. Even up to today in things like uh, Last Man on Earth, she's always fantastic. Yes, she was great on Last Man on Earth, playing the uh, the accordion. <laughs> playing uh, Informer by Snow on the accordion over and over again. <laughs> Can't get enough of it. <laughs> also, the last time I caught uh, Back to the Future 2, or 3, I'm sorry, on TV, I looked up the age difference between her and Christopher Lloyd, and it's like 15 years. In which direction? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, well, you know. <laughs> she doesn't age. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, more famously, she's an elf. But have either of you seen her in One Magic Christmas? I have no. not. No. It's it's on Disney+. Plus. Joseph, you might have to do that one. Uh, yeah, I'll have to put that on the list. Think it's a wonderful life, but the guardian angel shows Mary Steenberg and how bad things would get if her husband and children were killed. It's oh. something. I'm definitely going to have to put that on the list. <laughs> it's it it's a thing. My wife loves it, and we put it on for the kids this past Christmas, and I had not seen it before, and I was just, okay. Ooh, it, wow. Yeah. It sounds darker than it really is, but I don't know. It's all the way it's all the way you perceive it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, rest of the voice cast taking over for Marty is David Kaufman. We're at each other's tracheas. Yeah, and next we'll be going for each other's throats. Best known now as the voice of Danny Phantom. But he was also Freakazoid's geeky alter ego Dexter Douglas and the stock boy in the original commercial for Ecto Cooler. <laughs> And he also uh, pitched in for Marty, uh, God, not Marty McFly, uh, Michael J. Fox on the Stuart Little TV series. Oh, did As he? Stuart Little, yes. He's got the voice for it. He's Yeah, he really does. So that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, we have Doc's elder son, Jules, is credited under the actor's birth name, Joshua Wiener, but he's currently working as Josh Keaton. Smart move. And, yeah. <laughs> No relation to Alex P. No. I'm afraid it's already too late for my science project. The egg in my witch came first experiment is now hard boiled. Oh, wait. He was uh he was on the Netflix Voltron. He was on Netflix Voltron. 
He was the skinny preteen Hercules in the Disney movie. And he's done a bunch of video games. He's the video game voice actor for Ryu Hayabusa in the recent Ninja Gaiden uh, games. Hmm. Oh, good for him. And his younger brother, Vern, is Troy Davidson, who is known for this. Jewels! That punk stole the car keys! And he was apparently on the new Leave it to Beaver as Wally's son. And there's a special I haven't seen yet called The Town Santa Forgot that he's in. And that's about it. Um, this character is not in this episode, but according to Wikipedia, Biff Jr., voiced by Benji Gregory, who you may know from ALF. Huh. As Brian as Tanner. As Brian Tanner. Yeah, wow. Yeah. He doesn't strike me as a Biff Jr. Well, he's a versatile actor who hasn't acted probably in 30 <laughs> years. No, Alf, no. Don't don't put Biff in the manure. <laughs> don't go back in time and gamble, Alf. Uh, and then finally, I'll I'll put a... I'll give a shout out to the barking of Dockstong Einstein is credited to <laughs> Danny Mann. <laughs> well, I don't think we've talked about Danny Mann yet, but he voiced another family dog in Family Dog. Oh. <laughs> uh, but he's also Hector from Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats. And in Camp Candy, he was the dim-witted henchman Chester. Oh, my God. All the things you just said, that's that is my prime time, like four year old watching Saturday morning cartoon years <laughs> right there in a row. Heathcliff, Camp Candy, Back to the Future. What's next? Uh, he's definitely on an episode of Gravedale High, right? He might be. <laughs> he has oh, to be. He was uh, he was Dinosaur Neil on the tick. Oh, was he? oh wow. God, I missed that one. And some random minor Transformers. Who hasn't been a random minor, minor transformer? This sounds like if you can't get Frank Welker to be your dog, get him. Okay, yeah. It's yeah. very, like, standard dog noise here, but a little a little over the top for this cartoon. This whole animation style and this whole cartoon style is a little over the top. Yeah. It's extremely Saturday morning cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you had to name that style, it's Saturday morning cartoon. Yes. It's a very unique style. The art director is James Baker, who's currently a story artist at Pixar. Uh, and he worked on storyboards as a freelancer on a bunch of Pixar movies, including Finding Nemo. Uh, was a staff story artist on Soul. Started in 1981 at Hanna-Barbera. And he's got a website. He storyboards his own blog. It's delightful. I'm going to put that in the show notes for you all to check out. That's some cool stuff. Like I, I love weird blog stuff like that. I gotta check this one out. It it feels like he. I don't. I didn't dig that far back to see how long he's been doing it, but it feels like something that would have existed in around 2002, which mm. for me is prime internet. Like the wild west of blogs. Yeah, yes, definitely. So again, we open with a live action segment with Christopher Lloyd as Doc, who's broadcasting live from his garage via talking camera. Activating broadcast. Begin, Dr. Brown. (laughs) Dr. Brown. I'm down here. I'll be with you in one microsecond. I like this talking camera concept for some reason. Just activating broadcast. I feel like more people should use it on YouTube. (laughs) I wasn't sure at first. I'm like, okay, are they just like really doing a, a workaround here because you couldn't see him. I'm like, did Christopher Lloyd just do a voiceover for this? So like, we need to have him on set. But then we get to the end. So, yeah. And we'll I do remember that. him being in the other segments. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was apparently like his gimmick for the show was like they put him beginning and end and then that would be it. Right. Yeah, but, but even, even then, like some, in the first part, even then, yeah, that he could have just not been available for that part of the day or something. Right. <laughs> Stick a guy under the car, have him do the voiceover la- later. It's seamless. <laughs> They'll never kids will never know. Uh, he's not in frame here because he's under his DeLorean working on it. And here's where I point out the first episode of this cartoon went out of its way to clarify that it's a new DeLorean. Because <laughs> remember, the old one was hit by a train. That's true. Yeah. So he's working on this one, and it could be going better, causing Doc to wish cars had never been invented, only to add, but then I wouldn't have this time machine, which allows me to go back to a time before the car was invented. Like on that one summer day when it was extremely hot. It was the hottest day of the summer in in Bedstoy, New York, (laughs) 1989. Oh, wait, no. Wait, when was the last time you could get a new DeLorean is the question. When did they stop making them? I think they're still making them or making them again, at least. I want to say the original run ended in 83, but I could be way <laughs> wrong about that. Because, yeah, like the, the factory with all the excess parts is definitely back open for business. And you can you can buy a new one if you have the money. Yep. So it's possible. You got to You got to get from the Libyans, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's how they get you. Mm-hmm. Well, it is in Florida. You never know what happened. You know, pinball is back in fashion now, so I could I could rustle up some used pinball machine parts Ooh. if I really had to. <laughs> Ooh, side note there. I've been playing for the past year the Back to the Future pinball game for the Switch. It's, oh, I can't think of the pinball game now, but you buy, it's basically like a skin for like a table you buy. Huh. And the pinball game itself is free, and then you buy the pinball, part, uh, the table. And it's full of a Doc and Marty uh, impersonator doing the voices. Oh, dear. So it's a whole bunch of quotes, like the whole time you're playing and some of it's, you know, like 1.21 gigawatts or, you know, you build a time machine out of a DeLorean. But a lot of them are just very random and you can jump between all the different time periods of all three movies. So you can go to like 1985 alternative and the quotes are like when you're in 1985 alternative and has the faxes, it has Marty going, oh, it's joke facts. It's joke. It's joke facts. <laughs> like, you know, that's one of the most memorable quotes from the whole right. series, obviously. That's. <laughs> and and when it does, you know, the, the 1885, it's just a lot of him yelling Indians <laughs> like over and over. <laughs> so my wife and I just go around the house saying that or, it's <laughs> joke facts. It's a joke. <laughs> but it's really fun. It's really funny. It reminds me of like when everybody discovered that you could set your event sounds to everything Windows does in like 1998. <laughs> mm, yeah. If you if you weren't using movie quotes, you were recording them for yourself. Yes. <laughs> and which which my roommate and I did in college, we would we would record our own uh, voices. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we would secret we would secretly upload them to other people's computers. <laughs> Man, now I feel like I haven't lived. <laughs> The RA oh, Hill Valley, but I can't imagine hell being like low. <laughs> <laughs> That's the impressions are bad either. <laughs> Run for it, Marty! <laughs> are you two related? Oh dear. <laughs> you get an email one day. Maybe you were adopted. <laughs> so we're in our cartoon proper as the Brown family deals with the day so hot it causes flowers to wilt and the thermometer to explode. 
I'm a little tempted to scare my kids into thinking thermometers used to only go up to 90 and then just explode all the time <laughs> till they decided to make them for higher temperatures to account for climate change. <laughs> <laughs> and to keep uh, snowmen from getting all wishy-washy. <laughs> and we see young Vern trying to sneak a cookie from the cookie jar shaped like Albert Einstein's head, which is cute. Ooh, isn't the, uh, I, I thought this, the Animaniacs episode is called Cookies for Einstein. Oh, it is, because they're selling Kid Scout cookies. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that. Good pull. Stupid Einstein dummy head. <laughs> uh, only for Doc to yoink it out of his hands from the ceiling, because Doc's installing a cooling unit on the ceiling of his kitchen, thanks to a pair of his own anti-gravity magneto sandals. I want a pair. Super fashionable. And when I get a pair, I'll be sure not to leave greasy footprints all over the ceilings. But we quickly realize every member of the Brown family is a little crankier than usual, thanks to the heat. And they all end up shouting at each other, including Marty, who crashes through the door because he was doing the Doc Brown timeline version of texting while driving, watching a movie while hoverboarding. Watching a Godzilla movie while yes. hoverboarding. <laughs> on like a projector screen that's attached to the hoverboard. Just when you thought the pink Mattel hoverboard couldn't get any cooler, it's now got a movie projector attached to the front of it. And Robert Zemeckis still insists that's definitely real. <laughs> of course it is. It's made with, with the Uncanny Valley uh, Polar Express animation. <laughs> <laughs> while he's hovering around the very empty and very yellow streets of Suburban Hill Valley. Hey, it's the, it's the hottest day of the summer. Everybody's inside. <laughs> even this, even the streets are yellow. <laughs> <laughs> the streets are browning and dying right, at, right in front of your eyes. <laughs> are you saying nobody calls the streets yellow? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I thought you were going. It's not, but I wish I had been. This is why I bring you on for these. So everyone's shouting at each other until Clara mentions as hot as the Dickens. And that gives Doc an idea to help them all cool off with a little Christmas spirit. And we cut to 1845 London. Because to make this cartoon work, the new DeLorean can now travel through time and space. And it's voice activated, which is one of a handful of predictions about the 2010s Back to the Future actually got right. And Joey... As they arrive in 1845 and soar over a group of Christmas carolers, our old pal Rex would be very pleased to know that they are singing Here We Come A-Wassling. Here we go a-wassling among the leaves serene. Here we go a-caroling. Not believing what we've seen. Not waffling. <laughs> Somebody's got it right. <laughs> Uh, well, Doc parks the DeLorean on a rooftop and then uses another invention we've never seen before, a clothing converter, which I now want more than anything else in the franchise. But what's awesome is that he took a photo. Yeah. Why am I still shopping for clothes? No, I meant, you know, like like the photo, you know, that would disappear or whatever. Oh. Ooh. That's what I thought he was doing first. Like, oh, we're somewhere. We got to take a photo of ourselves together in the past. Make sure that nobody's fading. So thank goodness the good people of Futurepedia collected the data on how the clothing converter works in this series. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it looks like an old-fashioned camera on a tripod, but instead of taking a photograph, it produces an optical illusion 
that anyone in its viewfinder is wearing clothes appropriate to the time and place set using some coordinates entered on the camera. And apparently the illusion that they're wearing era-appropriate clothing lasts for precisely 8.6 hours. <laughs> That's oddly specific. That's very oddly specific. It's like, an it's like an entire work day and just a little bit of lunchtime. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just, just for a buffer. I didn't keep a track of how long they were in London for this episode, but I'm also sure that neither did the writer, so I don't care. Einstein even was wearing old-timey clothes. He was, you know, like dogs do. Yeah, they gave it. Was he wearing a little top hat? Yeah, and a scarf. He definitely yeah. had a scarf on. But they're all like brightly colored, like Doc's in the, the pastel purple hat and suit, which I love. Like nothing's. Oh, was it to match Clara? Because Clara's just in her old stuff. Hmm. What year do they say this was? Because it wasn't that far from 1885, right? It was 1845. Like, okay, so. I don't know, but also, like, a lot of the characters in 1845 were wearing purple outfits, so maybe that was just the fashion. It was just the fashion, and it's just we didn't have color photography then. So all we get is black and white. Like, everybody just wore brown and gray. The photos told me. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so out of nowhere, young Jules decides now's a good time to ask if he can hold the keys to the DeLorean so he can be regarded as a responsible member of the Brown family. Why now? Uh, good a time Christmas as any. Gift. A Christmas gift from a dad, Christmas I guess. gift from dad. <laughs> it just felt very out of nowhere to me. Yeah, something to move the plot along, I guess. Like, somebody's yes. got to steal these keys. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to ask you to. Have you ever done anything out of the ordinary to try and show your parents that you can be trusted with bigger responsibilities? I used to insist on making coffee every Saturday morning. And I had to learn how to make coffee that way. And I think my parents resented me for it because oh, no. <laughs> as soon as I was old enough, they switched to like other things. <laughs> as soon as I was old enough to actually make coffee, they didn't want it anymore. I think I, I ruined it for them. Oh, no. Joey, you got anything? Uh, I don't know. I, I house sit by myself when they were uh, on vacation out of the country. Oh, wow. One year. That's pretty in big. In the summer. Maybe that counts. Closest I could come up with was mowing the lawn. But, <laughs> but, but I did it. Like, And I was tiny at the time. Like, I think I was shorter than the lawnmower handle. Oh, a push mower. Like a push mower. Oh. Yeah, I didn't have that big a yard. If you weren't tall enough to see the straight lines, then, yeah, that could have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> also, the way Jules asks, might I look after the automobile keys? And the first time I rewatched this, I thought, oh, is he talking like a sophisticated 19th century Londoner now? Is that a bonus effect to the clothing converter thing? And then I realized, no, nah, that's just how Jules talks. Uh -huh. uh, they like they like using long words. Long words. He learned it from his mother. <laughs> he learned it from that mouse from the Twas the Night Before Christmas special. <laughs> That's right, Emmett. I wrote the letter. <laughs> uh, well, Doc agrees, and before we know it, the Browns are on the streets of London after Marty falls off the roof while checking out a view of a young lady of London. That sounds familiar. <laughs> it does. Chip off the old block. <laughs> Marty, you scoundrel. <laughs> Just out trying to do some Christmas shopping and peeping Tom Marty. You called out your father for that, and the apple doesn't fall far from the rooftop. 
<laughs> or whatever tree there was across the street. Yeah. In Hill Valley. Serves you right, McFly. You're still dating Jennifer after, and I assume during this episode, but Marty's fine. Goes into a shop after the girl who slaps him, and Doc is more fascinated by the wind-up toys the shop sells. He goes in to admire them up close, and one just leaves his children outside in the cold. <laughs> and two, here's where a little boy comes and steals the DeLorean keys from Jules's pocket. Oh, no! <laughs> and despite Vern's insistence that they tell their dad, who's right inside, Jules is trying to prove he's responsible, so he very irresponsibly runs after the kid instead of getting help. Now, here, here's where I ha had to make some notes, because I noticed the toys in the toy shop were very specific. Because one of them was a Frankenstein toy. Yeah. And I had to look up, okay, when was Frankenstein in relation to this? Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was written in 1818. So that would have been um, roughly 40, no, 30, 27 years before A Christmas Carol came out. Okay, so that that existed. It's potentially, you know, accurate. Okay. Then I noticed a Pinocchio toy. <laughs> the original Pinocchio story came out in 1883. Oh. <laughs> there is a toy at the end that's also a monster toy that either Jules or Vern has, which is a Jekyll and Hyde that I thought was really neat. Yeah, I, I didn't look up that one, but that was a, an interesting choice, too. I liked that one. I'm about to look it up. The strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde came out 1886. Ooh. <laughs> Technically before they were born, or at least one of them. I have another note about the toy shop. The owner, we we're talking about the animation style. The owner's nose makes him look like Mole from Wind in the Willows. Yeah, they had like a, a few people in here. Yeah. Have these strange animal noses. But not all of them, just the select few. I wonder if it's just this family or what. Also, you know, Christmas Carol, I expect that's where Mole's going to show up. So That's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they won't be poor anymore. <laughs> but Einstein, Doc, and Marty run after Jules and Vern, leading Clara by herself in the toy store, just in time for the arrival of Ebifnezer Tannen. <laughs> Such a stretch. Stupid name, but great name. <laughs> can, real quick, because I honestly genuinely do not get this. Can you explain Ebenezer to me? <laughs> well, it's Ebenezer, and they had to slide Biff in there. Biff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I, I I kept mishearing it and not understanding that it was Biff. That's yeah, Marty, amazing. When Marty says it sounds like Ebenezer. Yeah. Okay. That's T-H. Uh, okay, yeah, that's of. where the confusion comes in. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. In that case, I take back everything I said. That is, in fact, amazing. <laughs> Ebif Nezer Tannen is here to send the toy store's owner, Mr. Fedgwick, the guy with the nose, to debtor's prison because his mortgage payment is an hour late. And I feel like this is the, Mickey's Christmas Carol was the only other time I heard that exact reason for going after a mortgage because he did that to Daisy in that one. Or to Isabel, rather. That's true. Yeah, just a, a minute or an hour too late, and poof, it's gone. That is odd. I, I, it must have. It must be a pull straight from that, because you're right. I can't think of a single other reference to that. Maybe, maybe the this guy, this Fedwick guy's nose is supposed to look like he's from a Mickey Mouse cartoon, because he looks like one of those background characters where you can't tell what they're supposed to be. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, Tannen sets his eyes on Clara and tells his, are they cops with him? They look like old bobbies or whatever they are. They're clearly working with him, who tells him, take the wench as well. Hired thugs. Hired thugs. Goons. Hired Hired goons. goons. There you go. (laughs) Cut to Jules and Vern, who had followed their young pickpocket to the attic space of a tall building where they run into a man named Murdoch, whom the kid works for, and he gives us the old hello, hello, hello before tying up the brothers upside down on the ceiling. Hello, 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 and now it's time to say goodbye. We will return after these messages. Riding in Orlando was never like this. Back to the Future. Only at Universal Studios. Beyond anything you've seen. Beyond everything you've done. Universal Studios Florida. This summer, coming to a supermarket near you. There's going to be a great new high sea flavor with an outrageous food taste. And what are we going to call it? Ecto Cooler. High sea Ecto Cooler. Slimer's new fruit drink. You've been warned. Now back to. I show! So the kid convinces Murdoch not to murder the children and employ them as pickpockets instead. So this felt like, I'm like, is this Fagin from Oliver Choice? Nope, he's Murdoch. But it did feel like they were combining Dickens stories here, right? Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, you're getting two Dickens for the price of one here. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It is a Dickens of the Christmas. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so Vern refuses at first. No way, Jose. Before Jules whispers to him that it might be their only hope to get the keys back. So they agree. Yes way, Jose. Meanwhile, Doc and Marty circle back to the toy shop to find Clara's now gone. So they ask a group of carolers to catch them up on the plot. This part's great. They answer to the <laughs> tune of We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Although it is the Christmas season, the fans wakes up all in prison. The mortgage, it was the reason, said old miser Tannen. Tannen, but one of the beautiful female customer. That lady, she was arrested for Tannen, her metal tested. His hand on her cheek, he rested, and she punched his ticket. What a spouse! And the boys? I wish these guys showed up in more Christmas cartoons and specials. <laughs> it, would be, it would be extremely helpful. <laughs> Just explain the plot to everybody to the tune of We Wish You a Merry Christmas. All the time. Even if it's not Christmas. I just love them. <laughs> They're Basil Exposition. <laughs> Well, this got me to thinking, did We Wish You a Merry Christmas to exist in 1845? Ah. And the answer I found was probably not. (laughs) The version we're familiar with, as far as lyrics and arrangement goes, uh, is only from 1935, which is way later than I would have guessed. Whoa, that is, that's amazing. 
arranged by Arthur Worrell, uh, who described it as a West Country traditional song. So the tune may have existed 90 years earlier than that? Maybe. Hmm. But I'm not too worried about it here. We got here in a flying time machine, the keys of which are now missing, so... But fortunately, the conductor of this choir of carolers knows the pickpocket. His name is Reg. He hangs out at the Hogshead Tavern. I've been there. It's at Universal Studios. I mean Hogsmeade. (laughs) I mean Islands of Adventure. You mean we've gone back in time? Yes. Uh, Must be a London branch, but... Doc goes to find the boys, and Marty goes to find Clara, who is also in prison, which is very overcrowded. Oh, didn't it say, like, Tannen Prison or something? Tannen? The, yeah, on the, the Tannen wing of the, the debtor's yes. prison. When I saw that, I first thought it, it was because that's where all the Tannens go, because they're all, you know, bad guys. They threw all the Tannen family members <laughs> in the same jail. Maybe maybe it used to be that, and then this, and Ebenezer got so rich got them all out and just slapped his name on it. I own the police. (laughs) So, um, been here long? When I first come to this prison, uh, I was wrinkled, uh, had no teeth and drooled a lot. I was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) We get a quick scene of Doc in the hogshead bribing a tough-looking customer with a wad of cash that does not at all look like it belongs in 1845 or England. <laughs> yes, I wrote that down. I was like, he's paying people off with U.S. dollars from the 90s. <laughs> Tons of greenbacks, yeah. <laughs> Very greenbacks. See, what? why couldn't he have had a device that changes the money into old-timey money, just like the clothing? He had the whole briefcase in, I think, part two. Right, but like the, uh, just a little device that changes the appearance of the money. That, then you don't have to carry the briefcase everywhere. There you go. I mean, in Christmas Carol, you know, Scrooge had those bags of gold coins for everything. He's counting them in his counting house. That's what they used. Right, which is why I had to look up, uh, do British banknotes date back this far? Uh, they do, but they were white notes. Another thing about this guy. So I wrote his dog is Crusher the dog. And you're talking about, the, again, the animation style and the early 90s CBS animation look. He looks like Rude Dog and the Dweebs. Oh, he does. You're Get right. Rude. Get rude. Good call. I would have never connected those two. Well, I didn't connect those two. <laughs> so I don't know how this gentleman with the top hat knows it's a wad of money at, at any rate. But he Monopoly hasn't been invented yet. Maybe he just knows a bribe when he sees one. Meanwhile, Jules and Vern are with Reg and his boss Murdoch, who are showing them how to pickpocket. Vern takes a turn in protest, as he says, but only manages to grab a man's very stinky sock, which for some reason causes his pants to fall down. (laughs) Didn't think I'd ever talk about sock garters on the podcast again, but here we are. Well, Scrooge wears spats. Oh, that's right. Uh, group makes a run for it while we now check on Marty, who tries to get the prison warden to release Clara. But the only person who can do that is Ebifnezer Tannen, whom the warden tells us is a real Scrooge he is. I got a real, um, like, the the the, gar- the gate guard from Wizard of Oz vibe off of this guy. Did anybody else? <laughs> Nobody's I- getting out of this jail. Not no way, not no how. <laughs> <laughs> now that you say that, it, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So that's probably exactly <laughs> what they were going for. 
Mission accomplished. Someone caught it. Calls Ebenezer Tannen a real Scrooge he is, and that gives Marty the idea that finally moves us into Dickens' territory. I don't know if two years is enough time for a Scrooge to become an expression, but just a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about the Bernstein Bears and described sisters jump from infancy to kindergarten as WandaVisioning, so sure. (laughs) Uh, Well, Doc has been taken to Murdoch's hideout by the guy he bribed, who's called Wilkins. Doc claims to be a friend of Reggie's, but the kid denies it, so now Doc ends up being tied to the ceiling upside down himself. Because that's how you used to have to cut to commercial in 1845. We come back to the familiar scene of Ebenezer Tannen about to get into his four-poster bed when he hears the spooky call of his name from out the window. And it's Marty floating on his hoverboard, wearing a cloak, and identifying himself as the Ghost of Christmas. I am the Ghost of Christmas. Past, present, or future? Uh, All of the above. (laughs) All of the above. Why not? I mean, he's been to all of them. He has. That's true. That I wonder if that was the joke. Who would know Christmas past, present, or future better than Marty McFly? Really? <laughs> That's it. Who would know the enchantment under the sea dance of past, present, and future? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Been there twice. Sadly, this is the only Christmas ghost we get in this story, but if you're going to turn Back to the Future into a Christmas carol, this is how you do it, with fake ghost Marty on a hoverboard. He was already, he has risen, actually, on a hoverboard before. Yeah, he has. Oh, yeah. That's your joke. That's my joke. Every Good Friday, I tweet a gif of Marty stepping off of Biff's Pleasure Palace rooftop. That's right. And every Easter Sunday, I post him rising up again (laughs) on the roof of the DeLorean. That is my favorite Easter joke, by the way. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Never stopping. Like... uh, That's the one I will keep doing. Back to the hideout, we find Jules, Vern, and Reg all asleep on the floor. Well, no, all lying down on the floor, but they're like kind of looking up at the ceiling wistfully. And Vern's the one to ask, hey, how come your dad makes you sleep on the floor? And here come the sads. Don't get me, old man. Matter of fact, I ain't sure I even got one. Stealing watches for Murdoch in exchange for food and shelter beats slaving away in a workhouse. Then we cut to an actual workhouse where Marty is trying and failing to reform Ebenezer. That doesn't work. Showing him another family's meager Christmas Eve dinner of a few chestnuts also doesn't work because Tannen just tries to steal them. And then Marty scatters the nuts in the snow. Yeah. He scattered me nuts. That's what he says. (laughs) Got away with that one. Ooh. That's almost fingerprints level of uh, so yeah, it's a little blue a for a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Jules offers to help Reg free from his life of petty crime in exchange for the keys he stole, and they almost get away with it scot-free. Great scot-free. Um, well, they don't even get away with it great scot-free because Jules yelps at the sight of his father tied up on the ceiling. He unties him, but it's too late. Murdoch and Wilkins are now awake, and a chase ensues all the way back to the hogshead. And Doc suddenly has an idea involving Chekhov's anti-gravity magneto sandals. 
this kind of just wraps up quickly and stupidly. It's it, it almost felt like they ran out of uh, of Dickens Dickensian things to do with this episode with this plot. So they just said, well, it's back to the future. Let's just end this. <laughs> yep. They also have to cram in a lot in these because there's the the bumpers too, the live action stuff. So these cartoons are even shorter than the average. That's true. Yeah. And this is the point where they try to cram in a science lesson as well. Yeah. We'll get there. Look, we're educational. But uh, Doc's on the ceiling, pushes a bunch of barrels full of pickles onto Murdoch and Wilkins. Says, excuse me, Mr. Wilkins, are you by any chance familiar with Newton's first law of motion? (laughs) Why, of course I am. Isn't everybody? (laughs) A party at rest will remain at rest, but a party in motion will remain in motion. Unless, of course, that body is acted upon by an outside force. Uh, and then the cops show up, happy that these two thieves they'd been after for a while are all wrapped up for him, Christmas gift-like. But aren't but aren't the cops in Biff's back pocket? Ebenezer, excuse me. Aren't the <laughs> cops in Ebenezer's back pocket? That's what I thought. Wouldn't they just let them go? The world may never know. Well, well these are poor miscreants. Well, the poor miscreants. Who have no money, so they can go uh, to debtor's prison, too. That's true. Ebenezer's debtor's prison. There we go. Well, we cut back to Ebenezer in his bedroom, and Marty's about to give up on trying to turn him around when off the hoverboard comes that film projector from earlier. Remember that? Playing Godzilla? Where it turns on, and now Ebenezer is frightened of the visions before his eyes. Mercy me! What is this? Oh, that, that, that's just uh, that's just what happens to people who live wicked lives such as yourself. It's a total bummer. Frightened enough that Marty makes him swear to free everyone in the prison, so Claire and the Fedwicks and everyone else are free on Christmas morning. Or else this will happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> a kaiju attack on Hill Valley. A kaiju attack on Christmas. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Godzilla Ooh, bless there... us, everyone. <laughs> Godzilla bless us. Is there a kaiju Christmas movie? Hmm. Oh, oh man. I, I want to say there is one, but off the top of my head, I, I can't place it. Ooh, now I want to see Gamera fight the Bumble. Oh, man. Someone <laughs> make that. How does that not exist? <laughs> Frank and Bass, like in their prime, they missed an opportunity, I'm Absolutely. telling you. Absolutely. Oh, man. Sandy Frank. <laughs> okay, I have a couple notes I think we missed, some, or we just didn't mention something I made notes of. So Vern pickpocketed someone a few minutes earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to pause it because I saw something on the newspaper headline of the guy he pickpocketed. Oh. And I had to pause it and go back. It says pickpocket menace on the paper <laughs> of the guy he robs. Also, gotcha. at some point... I think Doc says to run like the March Hare instead of run like the Dickens. Hey, yeah. Oh. (laughs) I also enjoyed, I mean, this was obviously a gimmick of the whole show about how Doc always has to use the most scientific, like, lingo in everything he says. Yeah, well, and Jules has picked up on that trait from him, but yeah, Yeah. back to the long words. Anyway, continue. This is where we saw the Jekyll and Hyde toy here at the end, too. Oh, right. Well, first off, everybody's kind of shocked to find a much kinder Ebenezer Tannen dancing and singing I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Then we cut to Marty and the Browns spending Christmas with the Fedgwicks, who've adopted Reggie. Aww. Who is it, Jules, who gets the, uh, 
the Jekyll and Hyde toy? I'm not sure. I believe it's Ju- I believe it's Jules. Yeah, fifty-fifty yeah. shot. Yeah, no. Reggie's gift is a family for Christmas. No paperwork necessary in the 1840s. Just we'll take this one, and that's good <laughs> enough for me. And it's good enough for Doc, who admits it was Jules and Vern's idea, and that when it comes to things that count, they were definitely grown up. Now, here's a point that I want to make yeah. about coming back to the present after this Christmas adventure. Having seen a Godzilla film with his own eyes, <laughs> <laughs> would Ebenezer not then like make that a Christmas, part of his Christmas tradition from the 1800s on? Should we not be watching Godzilla movies at Christmas time hey, as yeah. a celebration? I'm down. I've started incorporating that into my own celebrations, and I got to tell you, it's pretty great. All right. Kong versus Godzilla is now a Christmas movie, everyone. You heard it here first. Uh, the closest I can find to an actual kaiju Christmas movie is a film from 1962 called Gorath, which is directed <laughs> by Ashiro Honda, the, the director of the original Godzilla, it, which it involves a giant planetoid named Gorath discovered to be on a collision course with Earth. And the whole film does take place at around the holiday season. So Perfect. That's about as close as we're going to get, I think. Good enough for me. Well, we end the animated portion with Ebif Neezer Tannen delivering a Christmas goose to the Fedgwicks, only to recognize Marty and immediately go back to his former miserly self. Well, we tried. <laughs> Chases Marty outside only to fall into a cart of figgy pudding, which, especially in 1845, still beats manure. Tell it is figgy pudding, he fell in the figgy pudding, the smell of the figgy pudding. And I hate it. That was interesting, but I enjoyed it. What did y'all think? Oh, yeah, it was a blast. Uh, a, a quick little 22-minute blast of uh, Back to the Future and Christmas. Like, what more do you want out of a cartoon? I would say it's the opposite of heavy. <laughs> Perfect. Very light, yes. <laughs> but we're not done yet. It's back to real-life Christopher Lloyd Doc in his garage to wrap things up by telling us every summer he and his family spends Christmas with Reggie and the Fedgwicks, and that right there is the true gift of time travel. He's still under the car rambling on about that, and I didn't really pay attention until the third or fourth time re-watching this to take notes. He's got a plate of snacks on the floor, reaches out his greasy, dirty hand from under the car, grabs a powdered donut, Dips it in what he thinks is his cup of coffee, but is actually a can of motor oil. And then we hear a crunch. That's a fantastic visual gag, but only if you're paying attention. (laughs) And it cuts before there's any noticeable reaction. Yeah. It's great. It's easy to miss, especially compared to what comes next. Because Doc transitions from Reg giving up his days of pickpocketing to the world of physics by explaining there's no stealing energy And to illustrate his point, Doc boots up his video encyclopedia to show us a bowling ball pendulum demonstrated by a young, then-unknown, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bill! 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 I love it. I forgot he was in this. It was was his national broadcast TV debut, apparently. It was. And he served as the show's technical advisor. Bill Nye made his TV debut on Back to the Future. Did you know that Bill Nye was in an Oscar-winning film in the past year? Yes. What? Which yes, one? Yes, he was. He was in Mank. Oh, was he? He's so. Um, 
in Mank, and I just love saying Mank as much as possible. Well, who among um, us? It's fun to say. Uh, a lot of the movie is about how Upton Sinclair, who you may know as a muckraking journalist who wrote The Jungle about yes. the meatpacking industry. Uh, I did not know he also tried to run for governor of California as a very, very progressive uh, left-wing candidate. And he's talked about constantly. And there's a scene where he's speaking to a crowd, but he's off in the distance. You can hear his voice and you see like his body from afar. And it's Bill Nye, randomly, that Fincher cast. Wow. Yeah, and the a majority of the plot is sort of the politicians and and you know the mucky mucks of Hollywood trying to figure out a way to to uh, derail Upton Sinclair's campaign. So in a, in a sense, Mank is basically about people trying to ruin Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> well, Bill Nye is here to show us potential energy versus kinetic energy using a bowling ball suspended from a rope to create a pendulum. You've probably seen this one before. Bill stands on one end of a room with a ball, lets it go, and when it swings back toward him, he doesn't move, and the ball doesn't have enough energy to make it back to his face. It's a law of physics that kinetic energy will never exceed potential energy. In other words, it's not possible for one of these energy forms to steal from the other. Let's hope not, for this guy's sake. Which is a great way to connect this pickpocket angle and it's like uh how are we going to connect a christmas story to something sciencey but i thought that was very clever the way that they did that that's why bill was on the uh the staff there you go uh, and that's pretty much it doc sums up says i'll see us in the future and we're out i had to get to this one and i'm glad i did it's good stuff any other final thoughts no i think we pretty much covered it uh, isn't it the future is what you make of it or whatever you make of it. So make it a good one. So make it a good one. That's you mean there's no fate but what we make? <laughs> is, is like that Marty true? says, yeah, about the Terminator. <laughs> Was there a Terminator joke in this too? Yeah, he he says he gives up on Tannen. He says, I've shown you stuff that made, would make the Terminator cry. Oh, and you're just not right. normal. <laughs> well, thank you both for being my partners in time for this one. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a blast. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> ah. yeah. And Joseph Wade, if people want to leave greasy anti-gravity footprints on your ceiling, where can they find you on the Internet? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cordial Wombat. That's my personal account. And I also host two podcasts. I review bad Christmas movies all year round over on Christmas Creeps. Uh, at Christmas Creeps, and also I co-host the OST Party, where we break down movie soundtracks, and that's at OST Party on Twitter. Cannot recommend those enough. That Thank sounds you. fun. Uh, and Joey O, where can we find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at I'm gonna DJ 24 and you can hear me on Why Not Radio, whynotradio.net, and listen to our pop culture talk show, where we talk about Back to the Future references, I'm sure, uh, whynotradio.net slash nerds to hear words with nerds. Please go subscribe to all of those things. You two are always a pleasure. Thank you again. See you in the future. (laughs) (laughs) I have show notes. Uh, If they're not on your podcasting machine of your choice at this point, you can find them at adventcalendar.house. And there you can also subscribe and follow me on Twitter and Instagram. You know how to use the Internet. I believe in you. Uh, Tune in again in a couple of days when things get spooky. Until then, for Joey O and Joseph Wade... From the overcrowded tannin wing of a debtor's prison, this is Mike Westfall reminding you to mind the icy patch and wishing you a happy Back to the Future Day whenever you are. And a happy new year. 
well, we cut back to Ebeth. Well, we cut back to Ebeth Niebuhr. Goodness <laughs> gracious. <laughs> Chases Marty outside only to fart and uh, fart. Only to. So <laughs> it ends on a fart joke. <laughs> and now, these messages. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Greetings, holiday shoppers. I'm Joseph Wade, and I host a podcast called Christmas Creeps. My band of merry mischief makers and I dissect holiday movies and specials all year round in search of the true meaning of Christmas. So whether you can't resist the urge to watch Home Alone in June, or you worship at the altar of mutant killer snowmen, Christmas Creeps is the podcast for the Grinch in all of us. Check us out at christmascreeps.com or wherever you download podcasts. Next time on the Advent Calendar House... It's a wonderful night for eyebrows. It's a wonderful night for teeth. It's a wonderful night for Grinch night.